You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the Earth Station MCU Podcast, your home for all things related to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, including Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Carter, The Avengers, Guardians of the Galaxy, and so much more. Visit us at our Facebook group, Earth Station MCU, at earthstationmcu.wordpress.com, or email us at earthstationmcu at gmail.com. Hello, Marvel Universe! My name is Jennifer Hartzorn, and welcome back to another episode of Earth Station MCU. Uh, this week we had a bit of a break for the vice presidential debate, the less said about which probably the better, um, but that meant that uh, it ended up being a good time for us to do our review of Luke Cage, uh, which has just come out. So uh, without further ado, I would like to welcome back my co-host, Mr. John Rabin. Sweet Christmas, it's good to be back. I figured you might say that. Yes, yes, indeed. Indeed, we, we definitely, uh, uh, we're, we're not disappointed by the, the presence of, uh, of the, the, the famous catchphrase in, in, this, uh, in this show. So that was good. No, several Easter eggs, including that one that really uh, helped make this show 100%. Yeah, absolutely. So, so actually, that 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 brings up a a, a good point. Um, as as someone who is not familiar with the comics, um, how does this how does this match up? Is this you, do you think this was a good adaptation of what we had in print prior to this? Absolutely. I mean, this was uh, this was essentially modern Cage because the original uh, Luke Cage uh, comics or Luke Cage Hero for Hire mm-hmm. um, were very much. Um, you know, trying to buy into the black exploitation uh, films of the 1970s. Right. And this is very much more a, a modern, nuanced cage that we see now in the comic books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean that's that's one of those things that that obviously there are there are a lot of examples of heroes, especially from the the 60s and onwards, uh, heroes and villains that uh, when they were first developed, they were kind of racist, you know. Uh, Everything about the Mandarin, everything about uh, a lot of elements mm-hmm. of um, of Iron Fist, um, right. and uh, and and there from from what I have seen of the comic, it's it's very stylized, and it's um, it it visually captures that that genre very well. But what we have in in the new series, obviously, is is like you said, it's it's updated for for a modern. Um, a modern audience is as uh, as one you know review I read said mm-hmm. it was basically it was a black exploitation story but stripped of all the the cheesy hokey elements that came up in those films. Right, exactly. Um, you know, like like there's whenever I I see um, see the pages of of the the Luke Cage comic from like the the seventies, I can hear the waka waka waka, you know, like. The, the funky soundtrack, like you know, with, the, with yeah, you know, you you expect Superfly to start playing exactly, exactly. Um, so uh, so yeah, I think you know, as with so many other things, they've they've done a really neat job both visually and musically. Actually, now that we bring that up, mm-hmm. um, I know that that you uh, like many people were immediately in love with with the soundtrack and and went out and got a lot of the the music that was played on the show, right? Yeah, I was I was running out to my iTunes and I was checking websites. Okay, what's this song? Who's this artist? Uh-huh. Let me download this. Okay, let me get Raphael Sadiq. Let me get Mary J. Blood, you know, or Faith Evans. Let me let, let me download this bit that mm-hmm. they already released from Method Man. Uh-huh. You know, it was it was just it was good. It was it had good like a good groove to it throughout. Yeah, I think that they've they made music very very central to the the uh, the style of the show, uh, mm-hmm. which was which was really cool because we haven't really had um, that in in any of the Marvel movies. I mean, there's been you know appropriate music, but there haven't been you know songs. I, I can't think of anything else that 
that there's been where I immediately wanted to go out and say, I got to find that song. Maybe a couple episodes of Agent Carter, but uh, but in general, it's it, it hasn't been. Oh, I got to go out and get this. Um, and that and that's really one of the things that Adrian Young and uh, Ali Shaheed Muhammad mm-hmm. really wanted to do with this uh, with the soundtrack. And uh, of course, the director the and the writers wanted to do this as well is really incorporate um, like. Mar music and the music of Harlem into mm-hmm. this show. Yeah, there's um, and, and you mentioned Harlem. Uh, there's in the huge list of articles that, that I sent to you, and that's going to go in our, our show notes um, about different uh, media outlets coverage. Uh, the Wall Street Journal had a whole piece on on Luke Cage and and on a number of different aspects. But one of the things that they talked about is how well it captures the spirit of Harlem. That that more so than than most most shows. Um, it the, the city is it's its own character, um, and I know that um, right. I've, I've seen a lot of people compare it to, um, you know, the way that The Wire and um, oh, what's the name of that show? Um, Homicide were for uh, for Baltimore. Mm-hmm. In terms of really making this the city, and you know, I, believe me, I, I I know as as someone who lives in Atlanta and goes to Marvel movies, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I know where that is, I know where that is, because you know, so much of it films around here. I know for for people from New York that that it it just gives it an extra authenticity. You can't, you couldn't yeah. film Luke Cage in Atlanta, you know. <laughs> I mean, that was the thing for me and Jessica Jones. Uh, you know, the bar that he's working in, in uh-huh. Jessica or Luke is working in, and Jessica Jones is like, I've been in there. I've I've had a beer in there. I know where that is. So <laughs> that's it's like awesome. you know, that's like driving me up a, up a wall. And I haven't really spent much time in Harlem, but you know, I'm sure that you know people who have. We're looking at things going, oh, I know where this building is, I know where this street is, I know this place. Right, and and it, it gives it a, a sense of, of authenticity. The, I guess the yeah. only the only thing I can really compare that to uh, for me is, mm-hmm. of course, I grew up in New England. And uh-huh. uh, so whenever Stephen King has a book that's, that's set in New England and, and you've been there, the descriptions of it, even if he doesn't say, oh, this is the Portland Mall or something, it's just so clear from the descriptions that right. he has. And there's this, oh, my God, I've been there, you know, thing. And so, he's not, he's not going to let it be said anywhere else. And I think that, that was really the same for, for Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. That, um, they wanted – like they were even had options to go and film in other parts of New York, and mm-hmm. they said no. This is a Harlem story. We're going to keep it here. Right. It it needs to take place here because that's that's part of the the essence uh, of of this show of this story that we're telling is is it's about New York. Um, so yeah, that was really really cool the way that they they made the the location and the music much more of a a tangible part of what was going on than we'd seen yep. in uh, in other seasons we also I mean, even going so far as to make every every single episode title is a gangstar song i did not know that yeah interesting oh wow that is really cool huh i hadn't picked up on that that's very cool Another thing that I think makes this a little bit different than uh, the shows that we've had so far with Netflix, um, you know, with with Daredevil, we have a pretty pretty small cast. There's you know Foggy mm-hmm. and Karen and Matt, and then we've got Claire in there a little bit. We've got you know a couple people on the bad uh, on the bad guys side, but we had a huge cast with this. Oh, oh yeah, and, and and Jessica Jones too. Not, you know, like mm-hmm. there's there's Jessica and there's there's Trish and there's, of course, um, uh, Kilgrave, but not a lot of characters that you could really name other than that. And in this, we've got Luke. We've got Misty, who is almost as as much of a main character as Luke is. Right. Um, and uh, and we've got um, Inspector Ridley. Uh, we've got Claire, lots of mm-hmm. lots of Claire in here. We've got uh, we've got Riva, of course, and um, uh, and and then in addition to that, we've got the bad guys. We've got you know Cottonmouth and uh, and Diamondback and Mariah and Shades. I gotta say, Shades stole the stole the show for me. I thought that he was. Uh, I, I did not think we would have a a second in command that was as cool as Wesley again, but Shades was awesome. 
Yeah, and you know, um, I mean, we we got Raphael Scarf. Uh, mm-hmm. who's, he's also a character from the comics. Okay. Um, one of my favorite side uh, characters was Bobby Fish. The, yeah. Uh, the um, the yeah, the chess player. Right, right, from the barbershop. Yeah, I loved getting, uh, in addition to getting Claire from Daredevil, we also got Turk showed up for a bit. Right, right, yeah, that's right, I forgot about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and just, just fun fact uh, with, um, with Fish, uh, the actor who played, and I confused the heck out of some people on Facebook, but uh, the actor that, that plays uh, that character is the mm-hmm. father in real life of uh, Jasmine Cephas Jones, who uh, plays Peggy, um, not Peggy Carter, but Peggy Schuyler in uh, in Hamilton. So I, I saw I saw his name and I'm like, wait a second, is he related to her? So that was. Yeah, I think I'm like the last person in America that has yet to uh, sit through all of Hamilton. Y- you you are. If, 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 if I'm stubbornly resisting this. Well, and you know, I get that because sometimes, you know, people are like, oh, you have to see this. You have to see this. Oh, my God, you have to listen to this. And I'm like, you I know, know what? I'll discover, I'll discover it in like five years or something once right. the hype's died down. And then right. I'll do, and then I'll love it. And all my friends will be like, where the hell were you? <laughs> right, right. And and my friend Holly is, is going through that right now. She actually just, funny you should say it, she just picked up Hamilton today. And she was like, um... This is awesome, and we're like, we've been telling you this. But anyway, I don't, I don't like the negative portrayal of George the Third, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, you Anglotopia, not you. Um, but you uh, know, you want to blame somebody, blame Parliament. Okay, okay, that's oh, sorry. That, that's that's fair. Um, but but anyway, yeah, I mean, although now that now that we're talking about it, uh, Hamilton is also very 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 based in place you know because hamilton right. is is absolutely set in new york it could not you could not have that you know story in philadelphia or 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 anywhere right. else it's um there are references to new york landmarks all the time so it's uh it's it's interesting to see how things kind of kind of ebb and flow. We had a lot of years yes. where there wasn't a lot of stuff set in New York. It wasn't you know if it was set in New York, it was just sort of incidental. So it's kind kind of neat to have all of the. Different... We're talking about like musicals or just you no. Know, I'm like, talking about like in media different... in general. Um, you know where, where like every time I turn around, something's going on in New York. <laughs> well, well, that's okay. That's everything. Everything that's Law and Order is is New York based. But um, but anyway. Anyway, you know, we, we digress. Of course, Gotham is New York, but that's that's beside the point. It's that's, it's not New. It's, it's a fictional universe. It's a very fictional universe. It it is it is not recognizably New York the way that Luke Cage is recognizably Harlem, but um. I don't know. If you live in New York, it's recognizable. Really? Is it? Huh. Yeah, well, I mean they film they film in uh, in New York. Well, in, I know or, they like, do. Manhattan in the boroughs. It just I, I guess. I guess they they have you know a dark filter over all of it, and and I also don't know well, yeah. as well. But um, but anywho, uh, so yeah, so so place and music are very very central to this. They've got a much bigger uh, cast with this. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, one of the big uh, big. I don't even want to say controversy because it's so stupid. But there were uh, of as as everyone expected there were people that actually when luke cage came out were complaining that it wasn't quote-unquote diverse enough and it was like, it was like oh white my... people were complaining it wasn't diverse enough exactly exactly I mean, how do you do you think uh do you think you understand now how black people might feel when they're watching something i mean the, the, oh, it's it's just it's yeah. it's infuriating and i can't i can't even was you know that's another thing that the, that's almost brought over from black exploitation movies, where mm-hmm. all your heroes, your good guys, like your main characters, they're all going to be black. Right. The only time a white guy shows up is, is if, if he's, he's a bad guy. If he's the bad guy, or if he's completely inept. Right. Which is you know what we got here between Detective Scarf right. and uh, Doctor Bernstein. Right. Is that they were or in the what's his name the uh, the the captain of the guards there yeah. in the jail. Yeah. Billy you Bob know, or and, something. Yeah. And Dr. Bernstein is probably the like the nicest one of the three, and right. yet he's still going to use Luke as a guinea pig and manipulate him into this experiment. Although th- there's there's certainly some cl- 
complicity on, on the part of Riva there too. Um, yeah. So, so it's not it's not just like it was it was him doing it, but but anyway, yeah, it's um, you know the the marginalized characters in this show are the white people, but I don't know for for me, just just the the whole idea of of being unable to sympathize with people that don't look or sound or act like you just just it, it blows my mind. I just I just can't. I can't process it, you know. I don't know. Maybe it's just like me, but, you know, I take things very much on a human level. So right. I'll, I'll sympathize with just about anybody. It doesn't matter if it's man, woman, or what the skin color is, whether they're gay, straight, you know, whatever. This is a this is a human being to me, and this is somebody who's got a story who's just trying to live his life. And uh, and you you sympathize with that I think especially when the when the writing is good enough as it has been here exactly exactly and you know as as a woman who likes science fiction and and has since since I was a little kid I mean there are there are so many properties that that I love um, you know whether I mean Doctor Who you know but but I was I was just watching Supernatural just now and that's that's not a show that has a lot of strong female characters but I love it because I'm able to see past the fact that I, I can identify with someone even if they're different from me so so yeah so I exactly what you said I, th I think that the whole the whole thing about people whining just I, I don't I, it's it's beyond my comprehension how people can can be like that in this day and age. On and the, I mean that's and that's one of the things is that we've you know you've got representation now. Right. You've got representation in a in a major Marvel television show. Um, it's it's transitioned from the films where we've had uh, Falcon, where we've had Black Panther. Mm -hmm. Now we've got Luke Cage. And, and Luke Cage is almost yeah. And Rhodey, sorry, mm -hmm. I didn't mean to forget about Rhodey. <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, but Luke and Luke Cage is a character that's more immediately identifiable, mm -hmm. I think, to the average person. Yeah, he's and I mean, and he's the title character of of the show, as opposed yeah. to being, you know, the the stereotypical black sidekick guy, which yeah, is this isn't Cap sidekick this, right. or Iron Man sidekick. This is his own man. Exactly. Uh, exactly. So, so obviously, it's it's fantastic to see that finally getting getting on the screen as as a main character. He's you know uh, we we have Black Panther coming, of course, but um, mm -hmm. you know, which is also going to have uh, an all black cast. Well, mostly all black, right. except for Martin Freeman. Right. And uh, that was one of the things, especially my black friends were getting on about when people like white people started complaining about the lack of diversity in the show. Oh my god! It's just like. Wait, wait till they get a load of Black Panther. Right. I mean, if you if you have it's it's the setting, you know, if you and like I said, with this show, the those those things like like the the, the locations, the music, this is this is about taking you into an environment, into a place and a time. And this happens to be a place and time that is predominantly black. And ugh, right. anyway. Anyway, just had to get that out because that's that's just ugh, one of those things that I just sort of shake my head and I'm like, how how is this how is this still a thing? As they would say on John Oliver. Um, well, some 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 white people gotta make it about them. Uh, you know, there's there there's always there's always somebody. But uh, mm -hmm. but anywho, um, I think another thing that was uh, surprising to me, but that I was I was very happy about, um, and that I haven't really seen addressed very much, um, is is the fact that this this basically just about quadrupled the number of strong female characters in the MCU as a whole. Um, uh, Misty Knight obviously was mm -hmm. was fantastic. Like I said, I think that in in some respects she was almost as much of a of a main character as as Luke was. We had a really good bad guy with a twist in in the the form of Mariah because uh, you know she's she's definitely you know on on the opposite side, but we get to see a lot of of oh. her background. Um, and uh, and see, you know, she's she's a very very complex, interesting character. Um, obviously, we've got Claire, who is sort of the the connective tissue that's going between all of the Defenders shows in in much the same way that Coulson did. Um, 
well, in a different way. But uh, and then of course we've got uh, we've got like I said, Inspector Ridley, who is uh, the uh, the the boss down at the uh, police station, and. There's a really interesting confrontation at one point uh, where there's uh, there's a kid that got hurt, and his mother is down there. Right. Uh, Mariah is there sort of advocating for the mother, and then you've got Misty and Ridley there, and you've got these 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 four women that are having you know an argument over over everything in terms of of police brutality of you know of you know, protecting cops uh, who have brutalized, you know, you've, you've got kind of like the Black Lives Matter thing, but you've got black mm -hmm. people on both sides of it. And interestingly, it's women on both sides of it. So, And, you know, especially with the kid who's been brought in for questioning. Right. I mean, it's it's a black cop who, who ultimately uh, beats him right. to try to get a confession. Exactly, exactly. And not to mention the fact that, uh, that, that Misty, uh, you know, throws Claire up against a wall at one yeah. point uh, in, in questioning her, too. Um, Which, you know, it, it, and I think, I don't know, I can't imagine... Imagine that this was uh, this was written uh, before uh, you know the events of the last few weeks, but just to have uh, something like that happen in the interrogation room, just really in in my mind harkens back to what has occurred in Charlotte in the past few weeks. Absolutely, and and there's there's so much of this that was you know obvi obviously the the last couple of weeks um, you know it was it was written and produced long before that but there's so right. much of this that is paying deliberate homage to stuff the fact that you know right. um if uh if you look at luke in the comic books he's not wearing a hoodie you know that right. is that was and and the uh the showrunner has been uh interviewed about this and he said that was an absolute deliberate choice and and yeah. a visual reference to trayvon martin and the fact that you you can't judge a book by its cover. You can't. You never know, uh, you know who that person is. Um, and yeah, and it's one of those things that like annoys the crap out of me because you know if I, I like I went home last weekend and outside of a, a of a gas station mm -hmm. there was a sign that said no hoodies. I'm like, what? Well, what if I well, what if I went in there wearing a hoodie? Holy! Sh oh my God! Where was this? This was in my hometown. In in South Carolina, yeah, and it's like, well, what if I went in wearing a hoodie? Would they say something to me? Of course they wouldn't. Oh my god, that is, <laughs> oh my god, my mind is blown. Uh, that's that's just amazing. Wow. Um, but but anyway, um, that's you know that there's there's so many things in here they're very aware of of the fact that the, the political and social climate that the show was being made in um mm -hmm. you know the 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 unofficial tagline for it was uh the world needs a bulletproof black man uh yeah. which you know is you know that's 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 heavy, you know, that's... And then, you know, in one of the links that you sent me, the title was, you know, the most woke show in Marvel. Yes, yes. Um, and it's, in fact... And it's true. It's, this is the most... Uh, this has been far, by far the most political um, that I think the MCU has gotten. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, that actually... The, that was um, a New Yorker article. And, um, again, it'll be it'll be linked in the, the notes. I'm actually going to put a lot more... Uh, linkage in the uh, in the post for this because there's there's a bunch of uh, articles that are really great uh, and we'll get to that in a minute but yeah that is um, a New Yorker article called the first woke black superhero show um, and it's 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 fantastic um, in fact let me see if I can find it um, yeah so so in part of it uh, uh, they're interviewing uh, the, the 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 writer and, and showrunner and the interviewer says Luke Cage is obviously a black male hero soulful and powerful but you're mm -hmm. al also talking about uh, how it was important to you to have a diversity of black women in the show and that gets back to what I was just saying um, yeah. and uh, and and the response was uh, I mean 
Uh, quote, I mean, that's the thing. It's like black women are the backbone of any political movement of anything, honestly. As a result, I thought it was important that the show not only have roles that had a complexity for our brilliant black actresses, but at the same time, I wanted to see a spectrum of black faces. I didn't want everybody to be light-skinned. Uh, at the same time, I didn't want every angry character to be dark-skinned. I wanted there to be a complexity of melanin, uh, honestly. And when the actress Simone Missick who plays Misty Knight, got on the set, she said that it looked like a dark and lovely commercial. <laughs> that was just, that was awesome. <laughs> um, that's, that's a really, really good article. Anyone who's, uh, who's interested in that, I, I strongly recommend uh, checking that out. But, um, but yeah, um, that, that there's, there's been a tremendous amount of, you know, any time a Marvel movie comes out, you've got, you've got a lot of people that want to have the, the title of whatever new hot property it is in their, in their title so that people will click on it. And a lot of the time you get into the article and it's like, and this is not telling me anything I didn't already know. Um, but there've been a tremendous number of, of really surprisingly to me, uh, well-written, well-thought-out uh, pieces that, that go way beyond uh, just the the you know, the typical recapping, oh, this has this person in it, this has this person in it, this is, you know, what it's based on. We had, uh, okay, so so partial, partial list. Uh, Wall Street Journal, A Brief Guide to Luke Cage, Time, The Making of Luke Cage, which was actually, it wasn't just the making of the movie, it was, it was the, the character as a whole. Uh, Wired, had why Netflix's Luke Cage is the superhero we need right now. Ebony uh, had Netflix Luke Cage is bold, entertaining, and unapologetically black. Uh, Business Insider had something on police violence in Luke Cage. Um, Hero at Home in Harlem from Wall Street Journal. Uh, there was uh, at, at The Atlantic had a really good one. Uh, Luke Cage is truly a hero for his time. Christian Science Monitor, Al Jazeera, Salon, Slate, NPR. I mean, I was shocked when I, when I was doing doing the research for this because, and, and all of those are thing are articles that are not just like three paragraphs long. They're substantive. They're thoughtful, and they're talking about mm -hmm. what this show means in in the larger cultural context. And I mean, nobody nobody was doing that for Ant Man. <laughs> you know, this is this is something very very different for the MCU. Yeah, I mean, and obviously Ant Man's a completely different animal. Right. Ha ha ha! You're funny. Um, well. Oh, that would have been a pun if I'd said insect, but yeah. But um, and and to be fair, we did see some of that, some of that level of of analysis and and criticism, uh, with Jessica Jones because of the issues of um of you know sexual assault and coercion and uh, treatment of post traumatic stress disorder and things like that. But uh, but yeah, I think this this has been fascinating to see how this has has taken off in terms of uh, of of the larger culture as a whole. Um, uh, and act actually, I just noticed one of the um, uh, one of the the articles in there that we've been mentioning about basically about whiny white boys. Um, Salon had an article called Luke Cage and the racial empathy gap. That was really, really good. If anybody wants to, to read about that, but, but anyway, we should talk about the show. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will be talking about season one of Luke Cage. Hey everyone, this amazing ESO Network show is brought to you by our fine sponsor, Amazon.com. Please remember to shop Amazon for all your geeky needs, no matter what time of the year it is. All you need to do is go to ESOPodcast.com slash ESO Amazon, or click on the Amazon banner on the ESO Network webpage to go to our e-store. It's the best way to shop and the best way to support this program, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Okay, that's enough of me babbling for now. Now on with your regular scheduled show. Welcome back, Marvel Universe, and now we are going to be talking about Luke Cage. Like I said, we had a big cast, but I thought that they they kept it, uh, the pacing overall was very good. The first episode starts mm -hmm. off a little bit slow. You don't have, um, you know, he's not, he's not, you know, kicking ass. He, he doesn't even have a ton of dialogue, I think, in, in the first episode. Right. 
I mean, we still, in, in episode one, we've got Luke from Jessica Jones, who just kind of wants to stay out of it and keep low. Right, keep a low profile. He's a one, he's a, and he's a wanted criminal. He does not want to draw attention to himself. Right. But in in the vein of any good hero who doesn't want to draw attention to himself, eventually finds himself in the middle of shit. Right, right. He's, he is, you know, he is the reluctant hero. Um, and is right. is trying actively to stay out of things at first, but gets gets sucked into it pretty pretty quickly. So one of the the things that of course we always talk about is the fact that Marvel has been criticized for not having really good bad guys in a lot of its films, but Netflix has completely inverted that, and I think most people agree that Wilson Fisk and uh, Kilgrave have been two of the mm-hmm. best villains. In 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 modern, you know, in modern media storytelling. Never mind just yeah. superheroes. Yeah, I mean, if you look at any list of you know best MCU villains, uh, they team they tend to top it along with Loki. Right, exactly. It's it's basically the two of them and Loki, and then there's a big drop before you get to anybody else. What did you think of of our our villains for Luke Cage? Uh, they definitely continued the vein of uh, a sympathetic villain mm-hmm. between Cottonmouth, who would wind to become a musician, right. but kind of got forced into the family business, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then um, Mariah, who is also trying to be a legitimate um, help mm-hmm. to her community, right. but also gets drawn into it. Right. It's you know it's like these are they were two kids who were just trying to escape. A bad home life, right? But just never could get out of it because of family. Exactly, and that that flashback scene that they have to them being kids was just that was just heartbreaking. And then just adding the complexity of, you know, their uncle mm-hmm. who is encouraging his music, encouraging him to get out of the criminal lifestyle, right. but all at the same time is molesting Mariah. Exactly. It's it's like I said, it's just it's horrible and in in heartbreaking but but yeah we do have two very complex uh bad guys um throughout uh the first was about two-thirds three-quarters of the way through that we lose him mm. um yeah and, and two, yeah two-thirds definitely yeah so so what did you think about uh diamondback diamondback almost like out of the three villains, mm-hmm. kind of is the one who falls flat to me. I agree 100%. Uh, he's the one who's essentially, like, you know, we don't even, we get kind of explained to us why he's ticked at Luke. Right. But we don't we don't really see it in backstories as much as we do Mariah and Cottonmouth. Right. He's, uh, he's, because, he's defined only in terms of his relationship to Luke. He's not like his own yeah. character. And, and it's just like, I want revenge. Well, why do you want revenge? Well, I went to jail for something, and Luke got off because he was the preacher's son. Right. But I'm the preacher's son, too, and I didn't get that respect. Right. But we don't see that part of it. All we see from their background is is Diamondback being supportive to Luke and being – we don't really see that transition into villainy. Exactly. Like we do with the others. Exactly. I, you know, we they do such a good job in the first part of the season uh, setting up uh, Cottonmouth and Mariah and – as as complicated people, they're on the opposite side from Luke, but they're they're interesting and they have personal tragedies in their lives mm-hmm. that got them to where they are. Um, and then when we transition over to Diamondback, he, he's just like I, like I said, with the two of them, they're interesting characters in their own right, and then they happen to be in opposition to Luke. With 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 Diamondback, we we've just got it. It's, it seems like he is just like evil for the sake of evil. You know, <laughs> he's just it's 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 um it's like it's like Loki only not cool. <laughs> you know, it's it's the younger yeah. brother who was neglected kind of thing that that I'm always I'm jealous because you had our parents' love and I didn't kind of thing. Yeah, and even even um, Diamondback cites back to Cain and Abel. Right. Uh, in his in his in his mind, he is the one who was wrong, the one who wasn't paid to, paid much attention to. Right. And he thinks he's able, but he's really Cain. Right. Right. Exactly. And and so that's for me. That is 
that that is the the biggest drawback here is is that we had we had two really strong villains out of the gate and then when we switch over to Diamondback I felt like and it was funny because a, a friend of mine was was watching it and was you know uh, messaging me as he got to, to different parts and um, and he kept saying he's like is there going to be a point to all this stuff with Diamondback and I'm like yes yes you're you're going to actually see him he is actually going to going to come in and mm-hmm. um. And and at one point he was like, so what happens at the end? He's like, and I'm like, do you, do you want me to spoil it or or what what are you what are you asking me? And he's like, well, he said, is this going to end with a big fight? Because he said, because as of that point in the series, he's like, I don't know who he's going to have a big fight with. I mean, it's got to end with a big fight, right? It's got to end with a big fight, and, he, and, and it can't be against right, and it can't be against Mariah, you know, and and it and it's not going to be against uh, Cottonmouth, so. We've got to have somebody that can have a physical because it's Luke Cage. There has to be a physical rock'em sock'em fight uh, with someone who can go toe to toe with a guy mm-hmm. who has bulletproof skin. So, and that's one of my favorite moments is their fight um, mm-hmm. because it. I mean, it really shows you the differences in uh, in neighborhoods and in cultures. Because you know, if it was a bunch, if it was happening in a white neighborhood. Everybody be running for their lives, right? But everybody is surrounding uh, Luke and Diamondback, and you know they're they're cheering on, they're they're offering their com- commentary. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like, hey, hey, there's a street brawl going on. Everybody, let's get out here and let's watch it. Well, and not not only that, there's um, I, I I've seen people remark the fact that you know, well, if that was going on in the street, wouldn't somebody call the cops? Well, that's <laughs> a good question. I don't live in Harlem, <laughs> so uh, you know. But 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 at that point, you know, Misty's Misty's there. So, um, yeah. but and the cops do show right. show up, and they actually, um, you know, rather than trying to stop them, they kind of like provide a cordon to keep right. anybody from interfering. Exactly, exactly. Which is which is actually super awesome. Um, but yeah, it's like in a it's like in a hockey game when the Ref's just like, I'm gonna let him fight it out for a bit before I break him up. Right, and and it's in in a situation like that, you know, what what are you really gonna do? <laughs> I mean, because this is you know, Let's see. <clears throat> super strong bulletproof guy over here, super strong with technology guy over here. Yep. I'm gonna wait till one takes out the other, and I'm hoping hoping it's gonna be the more peaceful. Of the right, two. exactly. But I I felt like you know when when. When my friend pointed that out to me, I was like, it almost seems like they had a great story that they were telling, and then they went, oh, crap, we have to have somebody for him to fight at the end. Let's let's bring in this other character. And, of course, I know that yeah. I know that it was much more, you know, carefully plotted out than that, but it, I, I would have rather seen a whole season with, with Cottonmouth, you know? Um, yeah, especially when Cottonmouth is kind of set up from the beginning to be this big bad and then, then then it's pretty much like oh he's just here for the fight right right exactly and so so i i felt like in in terms of of villains that was that was probably the one of the the weaker the weaker parts of this show um what are what are some other things you want to call out in terms of things that were either really fun or really cool or really bad Oh, um, well, you know, going back to to um, all our villains, mm-hmm. uh, just the number of Luke villains yeah. who show up, like Luke's villains from the comics, mm-hmm. you know, in um, in Daredevil, we got one. Yeah. Um, in Jessica Jones, we got one. Mm-hmm. In Luke Cage, we get three of his villains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things I thought was interesting was, you know, kind of the the romance between Luke and Misty, which isn't something that really exists in the comics. Uh-huh. Um, in the comics, Misty's relationship is actually with Danny, Iron Fist. Right, and and I think that they've, they've mentioned that, that she's going to be in Iron Fist, right? Yeah, but they... It really seems from the trailers, like, if they're setting up any kind of romantic connection, that's going to be between him and Colleen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Um, you know she's never she's not really involved in any with anybody in the comics that I'm that I'm aware of. But but I also love that moment um, at the end of Luke Cage when Claire pulls 
the number for the flyer for Colleen's defense class. Yes, yes, I was I was gonna I was gonna talk about that with with Easter eggs, but yeah, uh, Colleen Wing, right? Yeah. Yep. And uh, Colleen and Misty together are actually uh, their own crime fighting duo mm-hmm. uh, called the Dars of the Dragon. That's awesome. And uh, you know they're kind of like the they're like female counterparts to Danny and Luke. Uh huh. Uh huh. Very cool. Yeah, it's and and I mean in the in the comics, uh, Luke and Claire are together, right? Uh, I think they have been before. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Luke's main relationship in the comics, especially now, is Jessica. Right. Right. Because they're like in the comics, they're married, they have a kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she's actually been appearing as well in in the Luke or Power Man and Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. So Power Man and Iron Fist is something that that's, that has new issues coming out? Yeah, okay, no, cool. it's, it's out for a few months now, and uh, you know, Danny and Luke kind of get drawn back into doing the superhero thing together. Cause, uh, and it's one of the things I'm really looking forward to, and I hope they do it after Defenders, is a, is a Luke Cage and Iron Fist mm-hmm. uh, season. Mm-hmm. Because they... You know, Luke started out as a hero for hire, then Danny kind of joined him, mm-hmm. and their their dynamic I think is pretty great. They've got kind of a, a like a Riggs and Murtaugh relationship. Uh-huh. That's cool. For anybody that's ever seen listen to our listening to our show and never seen Lethal Weapon. <laughs> well, there's a TV show of Lethal Weapon now too, so I, I would assume that, that doesn't count. I, I completely agree; it doesn't count, but I think it's it's going to come back into uh, cultural currency. Again, because there there may be people that see that that are unfamiliar with with the classic version, which you should all. I, I mean, I don't know unless Damon Wayans is saying I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man. Okay, so uh, so let's let's think about um how this how this ties in with the uh, the larger MCU. Obviously, this is this is something where um uh with all of the Netflix shows, they're kind of in their own bubble. They're street level. They're not going to affect right. stuff with the movies, but um, how do you see this, this leading? And we'll, we'll talk, uh, we'll talk in our, our next episode when we're doing news about um, where, uh, where things are headed with um, some of the stuff mm-hmm. with defenders, but where, where do you see this? How do you see this leading into iron fist? What, what characters do you expect to see? And then who, who out, out of our characters here do you think are going to show up on Defenders? Um, well, I mean, I, into the larger MCU, obviously, um, like I said, Luke and Danny have that relationship. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be terribly surprised if Mike Coulter shows up on that at some point. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, we've gotten the tie with kind of Colleen being foreshadowed mm-hmm. at the end of Luke Cage. And we know that she's going to be a major character in Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. Um, and Claire's going to be crossing over, I believe, yeah, as well. Yeah, Claire, Claire will be in there as well. And I guess she'll have to patch up Danny from something at some point, <laughs> uh, since that seems to be her her mo across all four of these shows. Well, you need somebody to do that, you know, when you're not when you're yeah. not uh, Iron Man or or Thor or Captain America. Yeah, and you know, and we get those um, and we get those ties and those references. Uh, throughout Luke Cage as well, um, we see the Netflix series are still referring to the Battle of New York as the incident. Right, right. Um, oh, and there, and we there get... were a whole bunch of uh, Justin Hammer references. Yeah, yeah because uh, Diamondback is using is using disused hammer tech. Right. And they've got the bullets that can potentially kill Luke mm-hmm. are made from uh, smelted Chitari metal. Right, right. Um which is which is interesting. There's all kinds of interesting things about why that would why that would work, but um, yeah. And uh, and Mike Coulter has said this takes place before Daredevil season two, right? Which would also make sense because somebody would be showing up with a copy of the Sokovia Accords for Luke to sign it, probably at some point during the show. That that is a very good point. Yes. Um, so I'm I'm curious because uh, of course the the um, the other two shows have had uh, have had lawyers as as main characters or main supporting characters, and of course, at right. the end of Daredevil season two, we had uh, Jerry Hogarth uh, talking to Foggy. Um, how do you yeah. see? Do you think that 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 the the lawyers are going to put the the super team together for Defenders? Do you think that they're I mean, going to be like? No, because all right, because Claire did say that you know 
she knows somebody that can help Luke like get out of get out of jail like, in right. a legal manner. And obviously, she's referring to to Matt and Foggy. Right. So yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how those those sort of plot lines weave together. Um, it was one of oh, I was gonna say it was one of those interesting points of law mm-hmm. um, where you know that would be necessary because while Luke wasn't guilty of the crime of which he went to prison, mm-hmm. he still broke out of prison. Right, which itself is a crime. Right, exactly. Um, so you know, in that respect, he's. You know, and that's the whole reason why he's he's how he, why he changed his name, right? Right. Um, oh yeah, another thing, uh, another sort of Easter egg ish thing um, is uh, the prison where he was. Yeah, Bell Rev. Seagate. Oh, Seagate, Seagate. <laughs> Bell Rev is a. That's Bell a different Rev thing. Is like in, I think that's in DC. Right. Yes, I was going to say. Yeah, D- Bell Rev. Bell Rev is DC. Shame that's on you. Suicide exactly. Gosh. Now, I get all my I get all my super prisons confused. That's okay. Point. That's okay. But yes, Seagate Prison we have we have seen and and heard about before. Um, yeah. Obviously, uh, Luke was there. Shades was also there. Um, yeah. But then uh, we also know that because that is where um, Trevor Slattery was was sent. Um, yes, Travis. Travis, sorry, I'm a I'm a big man in the East Wing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, of course, we know also from All Hail the King that that is where Justin Hammer is as well. Exactly, and and it'll be, you know, it's it's interesting as as the MCU starts to stretch out into multiple decades. Like, if somebody goes to jail in Iron Man two, how long is he actually going to be in jail for? I mean. I don't know. I mean, uh, Trevor's Trevor's probably well, tre- doing Trevor's... some fallout from taking somebody else's moniker, right? Um, but I mean, Justin is presumably still in jail. Yeah, well, that's the thing is is Justin still in jail? But you know, you know, given the way that our legal system is, and given that he is a powerful uh, white guy with lots and lots of money, I'm almost surprised if he's still in. You know, it, it it seems like he would have. I mean, because ultimately, I mean, he didn't. I'm, I'm going back to Iron Man two here, but he didn't actually like kill anybody, right? It was his stuff. Well, do you want to do you want to go through the number of crimes that he's actually committed in that movie? Well, I guess, but but they're but they're. They're all he's like still criminally responsible for pretty much everything bad that happens. He is, but but it was his stuff, and and a lot of that was was uh, was he could certainly pin on um, on Whiplash being more responsible. You know, like like when the Hammer drones try and like kill everybody, it was his technology, but they were being directed by Whiplash, right? By a man that he illegally broke out of prison. <laughs> well, there's that. They, you know, when he caused. Also, like he will have caused the, he'd be responsible for the death of the guy that was supposed to replace Whiplash, so they have body, right, the right, deaths and, or harm to cause to anyone as Whiplash was breaking out of prison. Yeah, but uh, he the didn't deaths or physical harm to anyone harmed by those hammer drones that wouldn't have gone rogue had he not broken a criminal out of prison. But I'm sure that that can't be traced directly back to him. I'm sure he had minions to it, which is which is why I'm I'm surprised. There's obviously a very good MCU prosecutor who was able to prove I I guess so, I guess so. A- anyway, anyway, so so it but interestingly that means there was a time when uh given the the time uh, that has elapsed since uh, because Luke's only been out for a couple of years, um, so that means there was a time when Justin Hammer and Trevor Slattery and Luke and Shades were all in the same prison together, right? Yes, um, I mean that is that is incredibly likely. Um, obviously, I think Trevor and uh, and uh, Hammer, based on their their notoriety. Mm-hmm. Uh, prob would probably would not have been in general population. Right, right. Um, I, I would imagine that Justin Hammer probably had a uh, a Martha Stewart kind of uh, deal set up. 
Um, yeah, we saw that Trevor certainly did. And Trevor certainly did. He was he was a celebrity in in his own right. Um, yeah. But they don't they don't tend to put those guys in general population because they're going to be targets. Right. Right. Um, so. Uh, so yeah, so but but it's, it's still it's still interesting that they were all there at the same time, and of course, mm-hmm. um, uh, I gotta say one of one of the big uh, shockers for me with this one, th- there wasn't the same level of it as as uh, of of shockers that we got with Jessica Jones, but when when it turned out that that Riva had had picked him out yeah. for the program, that was an oh my god moment for me. And it's almost kind of like uh, in Captain America: First Avenger when, um, oh uh, shoot, what's his name? Doctor Erskine. But yeah, it's almost like you know when he comes in and gives Steve that like secret test of character, like why do you want to join the army? And he's like, well, I don't like bullies. Right. And it's almost the same thing, but it's a little more. Oh, it's a lot more uh, sinister. I mean, yeah, no, it's 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 a lot sneakier than it was for. Between Erskine and, and Steve. Oh, absolutely, because yeah, I mean, it's 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 much darker. You know, in the in the case of of Captain America, he's saying, "I'm offering you a choice. You know, would you like to? If if this is you know, if you want to fight bullies, would you like to have the opportunity to do this?" Luke doesn't have a choice. You know right. that, and and I mean, and basically, Luke is dying at the point that they uh, that they do this to him. Right, exactly. But but they they imply, if not outright say it, that that she set that up, right? Yeah. So I mean, the whole thing was a setup. Right, exactly. The whole point of the of the counseling sessions is to determine who would be mentally and emotionally fit for this procedure. And in the context of the show, it's very reminiscent of the Tuskegee experiments that they did where they were, you know, with African Americans doing yeah. doing horrible, horrible experiments on people. Um, so, you know, so in this case, it's, you know, it's great that he got superpowers out of it. <laughs> yeah, and I did appreciate as as one of the Easter eggs, you know, the, the metal bands and the metal tiara mm-hmm. uh, yep. from his original costume coming into that. And of course, once he breaks out of prison, first thing he grabs is the yellow shirt right that kind of hangs open for for a little bit right there's yeah there's there's that and uh you know right from the get-go pops is is calling him power man which i thought yeah. was cool um so yeah there's there's a lot of a lot of great great nods to the comics we've got a lot of good uh connections to things uh in the mcu uh th- you know to the to the movies with all the hammer stuff, uh, all of the Seagate stuff that crosses over um, to to these characters as well. We've got lots of great connections to uh, to stuff in the other uh, Defender shows and Netflix and whatnot. So it's a uh, it's it's pretty cool. I you know I I'm one to that that gripes a lot about how it's all connected sometimes seems like it's it's just said to you know to reassure us but it it seems like they're not right. all existing in the same world but um we had we had a lot of really well done you know references and and easter eggs and whatnot so i i thought yes. that was that was very cool with this show okay so um so I hate to, to do this, not do this on an episode by episode basis, but I guess uh, we'll go ahead. Let's see for uh, for uh, for Luke Cage. Should it be uh, one out of five tiaras? Should it be? That's what I was thinking. I, I, it's, it's saying it's either got to be tiaras or hoodies, right? Let's go with tiaras. All right. So on a scale of one to five tiaras, with one being terrible and five being best tiara ever, uh, how would you rate Luke Cage season one? I'm going to give this four and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to me, this only falls behind Daredevil season two in terms of like all the Netflix shows. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're really like close to each other, I mm-hmm. think, in terms of how awesome they are, how much they stuck with the comics, mm-hmm. uh, the the themes and the issues that they discussed throughout the number of actual like three-dimensional characters that we had mm-hmm. and the story that we had. It's just, it's, it's great. It's, it stands as one of the best things that Marvel and Netflix have done together yet. Cool. Um, I'm, 
I am on the fence. I guess I guess I'm going to I'm going to go on the low side just for argument's sake and go with a 3.5. I thought it was very good. I enjoyed it a lot. Um I I thought that we had uh, that there were some ways in which this blew everything else out of the water. I thought that this was it was it's very timely. It's very um aware of of when and where it's taking place. Mm-hmm. It um it it took a lot of of risks in terms of political commentary that we haven't seen explicit in the MCU. I mean, there's there's certainly some stuff in Winter Soldier, you know, about mm-hmm. surveillance and stuff, but but not on the very specific, very very current way that this is. Right. I thought all those things were good. I thought that it's hard to make a show about a guy who's bulletproof. <laughs> You know, because you can't threaten yeah, you him. Have to come up with right. You can't threaten him. Yeah, you have to come up with something that can hurt. Right. You you either have to come up with a Deus Ex Machina magic Chitari bullets that, that can harm him. Um or you have to make it and, and, and that's that's another thing that I thought was, was interesting, not bad, but very different and and interestingly coming more into the defenders side of things, um is that he spends an awful lot of fight scenes sheltering other people, you know, like defending, uh, mm-hmm. shielding other people from being shot. Um, defending? Uh, uh. Ex- exactly. Um, so on, on the one hand, I think that it's great for story. I think it's very interesting, but it doesn't the, – the, it happens so much – <laughs> that that it's it's sort of like you've got this guy who's great at punching people, but it it just it doesn't make for a satisfying fight when one side has machine guns and just keeps spraying him with bullets over and over and over and over and over again, and they don't actually do anything. And then he gets over and punches them, and it's like one punch man. They're, you know, it's like they're they've got guns because they can't stand up in a fight. So. I think that 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 kind of undermined some of the drama. Um, you know, it's 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 like you know, it's like when when you when you have the Hulk, you you, you have to you, you have to make the Hulkbuster to go up against the Hulk. You have to have this arms race of constantly coming up with more and more ridiculous shit um, in order to to provide a challenge for the hero. Um, personally. When I look at stuff like Jessica Jones and Daredevil, I love the fact that they're just people. They're just people who are really good at fighting, you know. Um, and so I think you can you can do much better fight scenes and have villains that are um, that are more complex. You know, there were there were a lot of guns. There was a lot of shooting. In, in Luke mm-hmm. Cage, which again is appropriate to the time and the place and the culture and, and all that, but at the same time, and you know a hero who is bulletproof, right? And you, and, have, you gotta have somebody try, right? You you have to have somebody try, but after we've established that yes, he is bulletproof, it, it just seems like every time a fight would break out, it would be like, and who's the civilian that he has with him? Okay, this time it's Misty, so he's gonna spend the whole fight sheltering misty so i mean i i'm, I'm on the fence but I, I guess i'll bump it up to a four i'll, I'll say four out of five because it was good and it was interesting but i thought that that there was that element that undermined the drama and diamondback just totally didn't do it for me uh he was you know we, we've talked about the fact that a good villain makes a show amazing mm-hmm. and um I I really felt like he just existed so that we could have a climactic fight scene, you know, and, and yes, you know, they, they talked about his, his, his background and everything, but the fact that he gets, he gets dropped in two thirds of the way through the season, it just, it seems like he just comes kind of out of nowhere. And it's like, this is not the story that, that I thought we were telling, you know? Um, so he was he was not a satisfying villain for me and and I wasn't I, I I think I don't think they really solved the issue of how do you provide conflict when the guy is bulletproof. Um uh, until until the last scene and then they have to pull a, a Hulkbuster basically. Um so anyway, 
that's that's my thoughts on that. All right, um, so I guess it's time to wrap things up. Um, we, as I said, this is a, a special episode since we were off for one week for um, for the debates, but we are going to be back uh, next week, and it is going to be coming up in just just a few days after you get this. You should be getting the next episode, which will be Agents of Shield, talking about uh, this week's episode of that. So thank you all very much. Remember to rate us on iTunes or Stitcher, and we will see you again very soon. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com.